Deadly chaos at Kabul airport this morning as security forces try to hold off thousands of Afghans desperate to flee the Taliban. German troops were involved in a firefight with unknown attackers that left one Afghan security officer dead and three others injured. At least 20 people have died outside the airport in the weeks since Taliban militants seized control of the Afghan capital. People coming here risk their lives. The tense situation at Kabul airport erupted early Monday morning into more violence. Unknown assailants exchanged shots with Afghan, US and German military at the northern gate of the airport. Numerous people have already lost their lives outside these gates. Thousands are still attempting to leave the country and are swarming outside the compound's fences. At times, people tried to enter the airport any way they could. On Sunday, seven people lost their lives in a panicked crush at the gates. There have since been several reports of missing children after families were separated amid the chaos. Facing a storm of criticism, U.S. President Joe Biden once more defended U.S. efforts to evacuate people from Kabul. Good afternoon. There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see on television. It's just a fact. There have been reports of the Taliban carrying out a door-to-door -door manhunt, instilling dread in many residents. We want peace. We want peace, don't we? We've had enough of war. For Afghans, the question now is what kind of government will be formed and how inclusive it will be of its people. And we can cross straight to journalist Franz Marty, who's been covering this story for us from Kabul. France, we hear there's been an exchange of fire between Afghan, US and German forces and unknown assailants outside Kabul airport. What more can you tell us? Indeed, German forces uh, confirmed this. Uh, it happened shortly after 4 o'clock this morning, local time. I spoke to a source at the airport, inside the airport, who was close by. Uh, he told me it was a comparatively small skirmish, so we're not talking about, like, a major gunfight. But, of course, it's, like, uh, nonetheless um, tragic uh, and that at least one man lost his life. Um, in general, uh, there haven't been, like, uh, incidents uh, of this sort before, uh, which is rather surprising uh, given the chaotic situation. Now, we've seen chaos at Kabul airport in the past week with people desperately trying to get onto evacuation flights. What is it the tens of thousands of people waiting there need most right now? What would be most needed would, of course, be like a better system to like process these people. Unfortunately, a lot of the chaos is because like uh, people don't know to which gate they should go or they go to the right gate, but uh, it is clocked or closed. So there's a lot of confusion around, uh, which is sometimes it's a fault of, of Afghans who um, go to places where they're not supposed to be or go to a gate without a proper documentation, just hoping to get somehow in. On the other hand, there is also um, a problem inside the airport. Uh, procedures are often not clear or there are no people to process uh, the Afghans that want to get in or the foreign nationals that want to fly out. So it's really uh, like blame on, on, on every side. Uh, President Biden is right that it's always a problem to evacuate that many people, but it could have certainly uh, be done better. Apart from that, it would be like basic uh, 
needs like uh, water, sanitation, first aid, uh, if something happens that the people would need there. Now, U.S. President Joe Biden has announced that he may extend his August 31st deadline for withdrawing all American troops from Afghanistan. What's the reaction to that being in Kabul? So far, I haven't seen like many crystal clear reaction. Uh, the problem is the Taliban have already before said um, that uh, they kind of hold the United States accountable to the 31st August deadline. Uh, remains to be seen if they will like uh, revise uh, this position. Uh, on the other hand, um, there is still like like panic, but uh, it might calm a little by a bit down some Afghans who now flock to the airport out of fear that they only have 10 days to get out and then afterwards it would like be closed. So uh, it might assuage this fear a little bit, um, but it's really hard to tell. Now, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which includes 57 member states, has called for inclusive dialogue following the Taliban's takeover. It's stressing the importance of peace, stability and national reconciliation. How much sway does this organization hold and, and will the Taliban take any notice at all? The Taliban have already before, without like uh, being probed, said like that they want to have an inclusive government. Of course, this is just a talking point, and there's a huge question mark how inclusive this government will be. Um, so they will, if they address this statement of the organization, uh, they will probably say that they uh, had anyway this in mind, and they will like endorse this. Whether they will actually do it is a completely other question. It should also be noted that the Organization of Islamic States had already before. Um, in the past years, like issued to both sides, to the Taliban and the government, like statements uh, for peace, and uh, they had little practical effect on the ground. So uh, this isn't a game changer. All right, France Marty in Kabul, many thanks. We're going to bring in DW political correspondent Hans Brand now. Hans, thanks for joining us. Um, what are you hearing from German forces about that exchange of fire at Kabul airport? Yes, that exchange of fire was confirmed by uh, the German military, by the official account of the German military. Uh, they talk about an exchange of fire early this morning. It was uh, somewhere around uh, six, seven o'clock local time, I think. And um, uh, as was uh, said just now, there was one Afghan security person that was killed in this exchange. Uh, participating in the exchange of fire were not only German troops, but U.S. government uh, soldiers as well. There is no information about what this uh, attack, what this exchange of fire actually involved. Who were the attackers, in other words? Uh, all of that is still subject to speculation. There was a warning from the United States in recent days that it is possible that the Islamic State organization, um, terror organization, might launch attacks in, around, in and around the airport and Kabul. Uh, this is an organization that is uh, opposed to the Taliban, in a sense a more radical organization. But uh, this is all just speculation. There's been no idea why this exchange of fire actually took place. It's being reported as well that two German uh, helicopters are not operational right now. What more can you tell us about that and, and what consequences would that have on the ground in Afghanistan? This is a, just one single report from a German uh, media organization uh, claiming that uh, commanders uh, at the German command control here near Berlin 
have been saying that the helicopters are in Kabul, but it's not clear whether they can actually be used there. Uh, in the sense, they are operational in the sense that uh, they can fly. They've been there for two days already, uh, but they have not really been put into action. And the official word is that that will happen once the situation allows for them to be put into action. I imagine uh, these helicopters were also requested by the United States, who are using uh, very large helicopters to evacuate people from central Kabul, and these are smaller helicopters, more uh, maneuverable. Um, so I think there will be some coordination going on between the Germans and the Americans to decide what exactly, uh, in what situation to use these helicopters. At the moment, they seem not to be uh, in operation. Hans, hundreds of Afghans have now uh, arrived in Germany. What, what more do we know about these refugees? The official figures are that the, the German uh, planes that are in operation, there's six uh, military transport planes that are flying between Kabul and Tashkent, um, that they have now evacuated more than 2,700 people, 1,800 of them are said to be Afghani, and uh, the others are members of uh, 38 different nations. Uh, so uh, there is an operation going on. This morning another plane has been going to Kabul, um, and once they arrive in Germany, the people are being distributed across the country. DW political correspondent Hans Plant, thanks so much. Now, as the Taliban consolidate control in Afghanistan two decades after they were removed from power, the group's leadership appears to be taking shape. Some have been part of the Taliban since its creation in the 1990s. So let's take a look at some of the key figures. Hibatullah Akhundzada has been the Taliban's supreme leader since 2016. Prior to his rise to the top, he spent decades as a strict hardline judge and cleric. He has final authority on military, political and religious affairs. Abdul Ghani Baradar is a co-founder of the Taliban and is now their political head. He held senior positions in the late 1990s. Baradar spent eight years in prison in Pakistan after being captured in 2010. He helped lead negotiations with the US to withdraw troops from Afghanistan last year. The deputy leader of the Taliban is believed to be Sirajuddin Haqqani. Now, he is head of the Haqqani network in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and he led many of their military efforts. The Haqqani network has been a fierce opponent of the US president, uh, presence in Afghanistan, and Haqqani is on the FBI's most wanted list and is believed to be behind several terror attacks. Now, the head of the Taliban's military operations is Mohammed Yaqub. There are no known pictures of him. He's the son of the deceased Taliban founder, Mullah Mohammed Omar. Now, for more on this, I'm joined now in the studio by DW Sandra Petersman. Uh, Petersman San Sandra is from DW's research and investigations team um, and has been covering Afghanistan for decades. Sandra, thanks so much for, for joining me in the studio. Um, now, the Taliban, they were insurgents. Now they're in charge of Afghanistan. Can you tell us how this could happen? 
Well, that's the $1 million question, whether or not they can transition from brutal insurgency to governance and service to the people. I mean, let's look at the situation in Afghanistan as it unfolds right now. We have an impoverished country, landlocked um, of 38 million people um, in a politically very volatile region. There is um, a severe drought affecting the people, hunger, massive internal emplacement, insecurity, continuing violence, not to mention COVID-19. So it really is an uphill task. And for sure, the Taliban cannot tackle all of this by uh, rule of fear and rule of draconian punishment. That, but this is essentially what they are known for. So there is a need to change. Can you just give us a bit more background um, about the Taliban? I mean, who are they? And uh, they're saying, you know, they're, they're different now. They've changed. Have they really changed since they were last in power 20 years ago? Well, obviously, they are very media sassy. So if you hear them talking, especially to Western media, you will hear words like, we want to set up an inclusive government, we want to forgive, we want to move on, we want to have um, a government for the people, by the people, of the people. But how that can happen when so many people really fear them and their track record really suggests something else, suggests, um, for instance, terror attacks, um, mainly inflicted upon the civilian population in the past 20 years, I think to gain that trust and to show a different face is something completely different. And that is something they haven't done yet. They haven't severed ties with the Al-Qaeda network, for instance. For all that we know, there are still terror forces inside Afghanistan aligned to the Taliban movement, aligned to their lightning offensive, uh, which in the end helped them to... Um, you know, occupy Kabul and now being on the winning side of things, so it seems. And let's just have a look at Mullah Haibatullah. You have mentioned him. He is the supreme leader of the Taliban, but he hasn't uttered a word ever since the Taliban uh, took Kabul. And what we know of him is that he, for instance, was one um, that supported uh, suicide attacks as a weapon against foreign forces, but also against the government. And again, these terror attacks mainly affected the civilian population. You have mentioned uh, Sirajuddin Haqqani, one of the deputy leaders. And yes, he has been accused of one of the major atrocities um, when it comes to suicide attacks, one of them being most likely the May 2017 bombing in front of the German embassy, destroying the building and killing over 150 people. So these are the people we are dealing with. And now we will have to witness whether or not they can transition to really be a government for the Afghan people. And that, at the moment, really stands with a lot of question marks. Seems a far stretch. Now, there's one last pocket of resistance to, to Taliban rule. The Taliban have tweeted that their fighters are preparing to confront the National Resistance uh, Front, which has its stronghold in Panchia after it refused to surrender. Can you tell us more about that? It is really very difficult to assess the scope and the scale because um, with things unfolding so quickly, uh, what we are lacking is essentially independent voices on the ground who are in the region as Afghan journalists cannot cover 
what is unfolding in Afghanistan. A lot of international journalists are also leaving the country or are stuck at Kabul airport. So what we hear from the Panjshir Valley, which is that pocket of resistance, is really coming either from the Taliban side or from the resistance side. And there is, of course, the fog of war. What we know is, yes, there have been tentative talks. Both sides said so. But then what we hear now is that both sides are also preparing um, for war and um, for battling it out. And it is a valley that is very difficult to conquer, but then also supply lines inside the valley with the Taliban surrounding it nearly completely that were very difficult to hold up for the time being. T.W. Sandra Petersman, thanks so much for those really fascinating insights. Now, many at-risk Afghans are still waiting to be evacuated from Kabul airport. Now, they're mainly interpreters or contractors who worked for the US for German or other NATO forces. But some are already beginning new lives outside Afghanistan. DW Washington correspondent Oliver Sallet visited one Afghan construction worker who managed to fly out two weeks ago with his family. They were on one of the last commercial flights to leave before the fall of Kabul. This is Mirza's new home. A cousin near Seattle opened his house to Mirza and his family of six. Like most Afghans fleeing the Taliban, he fears reprisals and wants to remain anonymous. For our visit, the family waited outside. It's a big concern whenever I talk to my family members. Most people know I'm here and safe in the U.S., but that's a big security risk for the rest of my family. Because of me, they face a high risk. This is one of the last family photos taken in Kabul. After three years of waiting, the former construction worker at the U.S. Embassy was granted a visa. A few days before the Taliban entered Kabul, the family escaped on one of the last commercial flights. The Taliban have proven to be bad people. They've already killed journalists and people who support international organizations. I feared that they would kill me since I worked for the Americans. That's the main reason I left Afghanistan. Mirza and his family found refuge here in the state of Washington. Next week, they'll move into their own apartment. Within a month, he hopes, his kids will be able to go to school. I think we will have a bright future. That's because this place is secure. There is the rule of law, and that's the main thing we are hopeful for. Mirza knows he and his family made it. But his escape comes at a high price. His mother will not be able to come to America. He says it's unclear if he'll ever be able to see her again.